Today on Blue 58, the Packers added some big-time athletes on days two and three of the 2022 NFL Draft. Who's going to be the best contributor? And what should we think about the Packers' big trade-up in round two? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. That's another one in the books. The 2022 NFL Draft is now fading in the rearview mirror. And as the Packers go through the process of adding some undrafted free agents, it's our job now to take a second and look back on what they did on the second and third days of the 2022 NFL Draft. Overall, now that we've got the whole class in front of us, I think I'm a pretty big fan. You don't have to agree with every selection. You don't have to like every selection. Heck, you you never have to. Uh, The Packers are not obligated to do things that please me or please anybody. But you can see the thought process behind everything that the Packers are doing. You can see that they're going for big athletic playmakers. And I like that, not just because that I think that's the best way to go about things, but because there is a plan. They have a structure. You can see what they're going to try to do. Obviously, you're looking for skilled players. But beyond that, they're looking for guys that have elite, elite physical tools. They're looking for guys that have produced at least at whatever at whatever level of college football they're playing. They're, they're producing at a very high level. And the Packers, using that approach, have added a lot of important pieces, I think, over the past, well, now four or five days. Even if they're not necessarily targeting positions of need in the way that we thought that they would, they're still adding depth to positions that demand a lot of bodies. I mean, outside of Quay Walker, every position the Packers have addressed here is going to be in the mix uh, in a position group where there are a lot of bodies in play all the time. Wide receiver, offensive line, defensive line, even inside linebacker, looking at, at Quay Walker, and to a lesser extent, Tariq Carpenter, you need bodies there. You need a bunch of guys, and those are guys that are often core special teams contributors. And we'll have more thoughts on that in a second. But the Packers took a lot of positions where they need a lot of bodies, and they added really, really elite prospects, at least in terms of athleticism. And and a lot of these guys are well beyond that, too. So I'm a big fan of the class. I love the thought process behind everything that you saw the Packers do this weekend. And it's... It's a good class of guys, and they're going to be competitive at a lot of different spots now, and they've added depth at positions where you didn't necessarily think they, they had a ton of needs. So let's go pick by pick here. Starting with Christian Watson, the big wide receiver out of North Dakota. six foot four, 208 pounds, a relative athletic score of 9.96. And this was the big selling point we talked about in the wide receiver episode. Four three six forty 40-yard dash. Elite to a level that you rarely see. And we talked about the Calvin Johnson comparison. Not a great comp for him. He's almost, well, he is 30 pounds lighter than Calvin Johnson was when he put up those testing numbers. But as we said at the time, if you're even talking about having a house in the same neighborhood as Calvin Johnson, you're in pretty darn good good shape. The only places where he isn't elite are the agility drills, but he's still pretty darn good there. It's not anything that's going to stop him from being an effective player. Notable stats on Watson, 18.6 yards per catch his final season at North Dakota. Averaged almost 23 yards per kickoff return on 10 returns his final season there. 
Now, this take might be a bit of a shock to you if you are a consistent listener to Blue 58. I don't mind the trade-up. I thought I did at the time. I've sat down and thought about it a little bit more. It doesn't really bother me. Here's why. I think we were in danger of having the 2020 draft all over again. So that was another draft where the Packers went in having some obvious needs at receiver. But the Packers are sitting there at 30. Unless somebody falls to them, they're probably not going to get somebody. Brandon Ayuk goes off the board at 25. That's it for the first-round receivers. So the Packers trade up from 30 to 26 and take Jordan Love instead. On the board, or would have been on the board at the time, at 30 were T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, and Chase Claypool. And the thinking was at the time, one of those guys is going to fall to 62, or we can trade up and get one of them. Spoiler alert, there was no fall, and the Packers couldn't trade up. They were trying to, but they couldn't. So here we are in 2022. There's a run on wide receivers again in the first round. So what are your options? You've got two, really, there. You can sit at 28 and reach in the first round. You can take somebody who's even bigger reach at 22. You can follow your board and hope somebody falls your way or trade up later when it's cheaper, but can still bring you worthwhile talent. And the Packers chose the latter. They followed their board. They looked at who was out there, and they traded up later. In a vacuum, that's still not great. I would overall not uh, prefer to not trade up because you're spending at least two picks on one guy. However, I think there's a way you can spin this and say they're just moving on from a sunk cost. They made a decision in the past. Okay, we didn't get a receiver back in 2020, and now we're going to fix that. My biggest issue, I guess kind of along those lines, is that the Packers neglected wide receiver so long that they basically had to do this. They've made no real substantive investment in receivers since 2018. Now, Devontae Adams is gone, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is gone, and the first round fell badly. All right? You're left in a situation where you can either hope that somebody falls to you at 53 or 59, and there would have been guys in the neighborhood there, or you can trade up and get the guy that you think is an elite difference maker. Those past decisions are gone. They didn't invest in receiver for half a decade now. So you got to do what you got to do right now. You could sit there and go, oh, geez, oh, shucks, the board is bad. It didn't fall the way that we wanted. And then hope somebody falls to you. And you might end up SOL there too. Or you can go and get somebody you think is going to be bad. Is that dangerous? Yeah. Is it necessarily more dangerous than sitting there at 53 and 59 with nobody you like again? Well, that's the alternative. The goal of the draft is to get good players, not to maximize your trade value. We talked about this uh, a while back. I forget the context exactly. But there is, among the analytics movement, there's this ideal that you're going to make absolutely efficient decisions all of the time. And I posited this example of this hypothetical, you know, analytics-minded person who would rather get fired from their general manager job because they made all of the optimal decisions and acquired zero good players than a guy who would do something that is suboptimal even once and get somebody good. You'd rather have a former GM. They would rather be a former GM sitting at home saying, well, I always followed my board. I always made the optimal decisions and didn't do anything at all than trade up and get one person who's good. The Packers think they got a good player, and that is the goal of the draft. 
It is not your job as a general manager to sit at home now on Sunday after the draft and say, boy, I really maximized the value of my trading possibilities. No, it's your job to line up in the fall with the best 53 you can put on the field. And sometimes that is going to involve trading up. It will. And there are ways to get value in in trading up. You know how you get value when you trade up? You draft good players. As long as you get a good guy, it doesn't matter how many picks you spend on him. I say that, that's I immediately going to walk that back. There are obvious limits there to how many picks you should spend on a guy. But if you trade two seconds for a Christian Watson and Christian Watson turns out to be a pro bowl or all pro caliber receiver, guess what? You won the trade. It was inefficient, but you know what happened? You won. Chances are there is not another all pro player going there in that range where you would have been picking. You traded up, you got the good one. Now that hinges on Christian Watson being a good player. And I think you're going to have some very real concerns about that. The level of competition is a very real concern. The chances of him just being a tester, a very real concern. He put up good stats, sure. Is that because he does good wide receiver things, or is it just because he's way more athletic than his competition? Only time is going to tell. But I don't blame the Packers for trading up there. If they get a good player, it doesn't matter. What can he do? Right now, I think Christian Watson is the three-point shooter in the Packers' offense. He's there to keep the defense on defense honest as a rookie. If you don't respect his speed, he's going to get behind you, and the Packers are going to have an opportunity for a big play. If he's more than that, I think in year one it's gravy. He should be more than that with what they pay to get him, but I think that's all that is really going to be asked of him. The experts have differing opinions on Watson. Dane Brugler says, quote, Watson is an unpolished route runner and must improve his consistency at the catch point, but he is an intriguing size speed athlete with the explosiveness to win vertically. He projects as wide receiver four as a rookie with wide receiver two upside and offers kick return experience. Pro Football Focus says the scouting combine king is more than just a high-level testing athlete. He is super flexible, six foot four, 208-pound receiver who can adjust to balls easily outside his frame. The drop issues and ball tracking are a tad concerning, however, as Watson dropped 16 passes on 120 career catchable targets, end quote. Overall, heck of a prospect, really good tester. If anybody can find a role for him in the Packers offense, it is Matt LaFleur. In the third round, the Packers picked offensive lineman Sean Ryan out of UCLA. And just as a blanket statement here, I'm going to refer to all of their offensive lineman picks just as offensive linemen, because I don't know if we can say for sure where the Packers are going to have these guys lined up. Skipping down to the seventh round, Rasheed Walker is probably going to be a tackle. We, I feel pretty confident saying that, but everybody else, who knows where they're going to line up. Ryan is 6'5", 321 pounds, and 817 relative athletic score as a tackle. If you run his numbers at a guard, as a guard, that jumps to a 9.35. He's a good athlete. His vertical leap and broad jump numbers are both very good for an offensive lineman. He hits two of the Packers' three offensive line thresholds, a good number on the 10-yard split and three-cone. He only misses on the short shuttle and there just barely. 31 starts over three years at UCLA. Seems like a pretty solid candidate uh, to be a solid pro at this point. We talked about the Packers needing a few different potential offensive line archetype or archetype options. A guy who could be like a swing tackle, maybe a guy who can play guard but might have been a, to- a college tackle. Uh, they need an inside offensive line utility man. Of those three, I think Ryan is the second one. He seems like a tackle who can play guard and might end up at guard full-time in the NFL. 
Overall, I think he's a very good athlete. People do talk about his play movement speed being a bit of an issue. How do you fix that? I think you bump him inside and just let him tee off on people. Use his size to his advantage. I think he gives the Packers a little bit of inside-outside flexibility here early in his career. Strikes me a bit as a new Billy Turner type. You're just going to line him up where you need him most, at guard or at tackle. The experts seem to like him overall. Dane Brugler, quote, overall, Ryan is strong and balanced in both the run game and passing game, but he must play quicker with quicker hands and feet and more efficient weight distribution for him to make it, end quote. Pro Football Focus says, quote, he has the movement skills for tackles, although not the length. It's worth starting him at tackle, but more than likely he's a guard who can play tackle in a pinch, end quote. Packers love their versatility on the offensive line. Ryan seems to give them some serious versatility on the offensive line. That's a pick with some upside. Romeo Dubs, the wide receiver out of Nevada, the next pick for the Packers. Six foot two, two hundred and one pounds, no relative athletic score. In fact, no testing data on him at all because he had a knee injury and didn't run at the combine or at a pro day. He did, however, have the second fastest recorded max speed at senior bowl practice, twenty one point two five miles per hour. He can scoot when he's got it. He is a volume producer at Nevada. 3,300 yards and 225 catches over four years, 26 touchdowns. Over his final two years in college, 2,100 yards on 138 catches. Averaged 11.9 yards per return on 39 career punt returns. Of note, I think. He was kind of his team's do-everything guy in college, and I think he's going to excel by playing a bit more of a limited role in the NFL. Looking at his physical attributes, looking at what he's done in college, it's easy to envision, I think, a situation where he is just kind of the jet sweep guy, a speed option when they need a little speed on the field, and somebody who can return some punts. Looking at that profile, think for a second and tell me who you think might be in danger as a result of Mr. Dubs ending up on the roster. It's Amari Rogers. This is Amari Rogers competition. I'm not going to sit here in May and say that Amari Rogers is on the outs or is going to get cut or whatever, but Dubs is a punt returner, gunner, jet motion type guy. He's going to force Amari Rogers to elevate his game or force the Packers to make a decision on which of them that they want to keep. The experts acknowledge some limitations there. From Dane Brugler again, overall, Dubs doesn't consistently play bigger than he is but he has the speed to stack cornerbacks vertically or be a catch-and-go creator. He projects as a potential fourth receiver on an NFL depth chart with punt return value. Pro Football Focus says Dubs doesn't have any, any physical limitations that stop him from playing the X role in the league as he did in college. The question is simply, can he deal with the bump in physicality? I think that's a pretty fair question for just about any rookie wide receiver. You look at the premier top-end guys in some classes, might not be a question for them. I don't think you look at a guy like Jamar Chase a couple years ago and say, ah, there's a guy who's really going to struggle with the bump in competition in the NFL. But outside of the exceptions, that I think is a fair question for just about every rookie wide receiver. And that is where a guy like Dubs filling a smaller role probably works to his advantage. There's only so much that he's going to be asked to do. And if he can do those things well, he's probably just fine. Up next is Zach Tom, another offensive lineman out of Wake Forest. Six foot four, three hundred and four pounds, nine five nine relative athletic score. But as we did with Ryan, let's bump him inside, see how he does. You do that, his RAS number jumps to nine point nine two. He might have to add some weight. That would drive up his athleticism numbers. Three oh four is pretty light, and relative athletic score does ding you a little bit if you're on the lighter side. They love big guys and 
you understand that because bigger guys who can move the same as smaller guys are better athletes overall. Tom started 37 times in 48 games at Wake Forest, made starts at both center and left tackle. The rare outside-to-inside switch. He started at, uh, in the college level, I should say. He started at left tackle, ended up all the way inside at center because that's where Wake Forest needed him his final two seasons. He had the highest pass-blocking grade in his level of college football last year, according to Pro Football Focus. To me, his size screams interior guy. He would be on the shorter side for a tackle. We've seen that work before, though, with great athletes, we should point out. David Bakhtiari, for instance, not the world's biggest offensive tackle, but he makes it work because he's a superior athlete and a tremendous technician. If Tom can imitate that sort of thing, maybe you try him at tackle first and see how things work out. He'll probably start out as the top backup at three positions on the interior offensive line if things go well for him early. And given those testing numbers, given his resume to date, I don't see really any reason why why we couldn't assume that things are going to go well for him. I wonder, since we mentioned this pre-draft, if there's a situation where he ends up at center and somebody like Josh Myers ends up at guard. The Packers sure do have a lot of options now on their interior offensive line between Ryan, between Tom, between John Runyon um, and Myers and even Royce Newman. I don't think you can count out entirely given that he got a thousand snaps worth of seasoning last year. Maybe he can take a step forward, increase his uh, play processing, things like that, his overall play strength. He too is a really good athlete. There's going to be options there on the interior offensive line. And as, you know, just kind of an aside, I think that's the best part about the Packers draft class as a whole. Inside linebacker, Tons of options. We can play matchup stuff of our own on defense now if you're Joe Barry. Defensive line, a ton of options. Just having Kenny Clark and Devontae Wyatt on the field together lets you do a lot of different things. Offensive line, options like crazy. Wide receiver, a lot of different options now. Sure, maybe still wondering about the top-end talent. I think that's fair. But the Packers have options there now. And even at edge rusher, as we'll talk about in a second, they've got some options there too. The experts on on Tom are pretty limited. It's starting to get to the bottom of the draft here, so not a ton of people going that deep with their draft boards, but we can turn to the ever-reliable Dane Brugler, who says, quote, Overall, Tom's lack of ideal mass and length will lead to him losing block connections, but his body control and intelligence are terrific foundation traits for the center position. He projects as an NFL backup who can become a starter, end quote. So Brugler penciling him in as a center. I think that's fair to start him there. But I think the Packers are probably going to think of him as a guard as well, just given how they've handled their offensive line guys in the past. Moving pretty far down the draft here now, we'll we'll get through these last few guys fairly quickly because once you start getting into the late 5th, 6th, 7th round, you're looking for lottery tickets anyway. And the Packers may have a pretty good one in Kingsley, J.J., and Igbare. He goes by J.J., the TV show J.J. the Jet Plane was a big fan of that growing up. Edge rusher out of South Carolina, 6'3", 258, according to his numbers at the Combine. I've seen him listed as high as 270 elsewhere. Take physical attributes with a bit of a grain of salt. We'll see where the Packers list him. Uh, he is just a 6'11 RAS guy, 6.11. Not an overpowering athlete, but productive in college. His production ratio was 1.0, 39 combined tackles for loss and sacks in 39 college games. We'd like to see that a little bit higher, but fairly good given the level of competition. More importantly, he had a 17.5% pressure rate his final season 
in South Carolina. The Packers did not get a premium athlete at edge rusher, as many were requesting, me included, but they got one of the very best next things you can have. If you're not going to get a premier athlete if you're not, who is productive, if you're not going to get a just a premier athlete, you might as well just get a guy who produced fairly well in a very difficult conference. And Enigbare is that sort of guy. Sure, the production numbers aren't as high as we would like in terms of the raw counting stats, but the, the rate stats are pretty darn good. Um, he should be a pretty consistent winner as a rotational pass rusher if he's on the field with guys like Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary. They're going to draw attention. He just gets the opportunity to win one-on-one matchups there. Reminds me a little bit physically of Whitney Merciless, not necessarily a burner, not an overwhelming athlete, but he'll get the, get the job done if you put him in the right positions. A lot of people seem to really like him. Uh, going a little bit away from from where we talked about before with some of the experts, let's refer to the ringer's Danny Kelly. Quote, Enigbari combines good size, great length, and a physical demeanor. He competes on every snap and should bring positional versatility to line up at multiple spots in the pros. He's not a super bendy rusher and could be viewed as a tweener who lacks juice on the edge and size for the interior. End quote. think that's fair. Pro Football Focus, though, really loves him. One of the best pass rushing grades in 2019, or 2020, excuse me, and 2021. They, too, note that he's not an elite athlete, but he gets the job done um, in terms of, of getting after the quarterback. Counting stats, sure, not what you'd necessarily like to see. Uh, but overall, um, a solid, solid prospect. Final three picks. Uh, start with... Um, well, final four picks. We missed one guy in here. Tariq Carpenter, a safety out of Georgia, is uh, the Packers' fourth from last selection in this year's draft. 6'3", 230 pounds. The Packers are thinking of him as a linebacker. His relative athletic score then is 8'9", as a linebacker. Drops down a little bit from safety because of some potential size concerns. Whichever one you choose, though, he's great athletically everywhere uh, except for the agility drills. He is a straight-line speed guy. Got his hands on the ball a bunch at Georgia Tech. And had we run his numbers uh, as, a, as a linebacker in our pre-draft thing, uh, pre-draft preview, uh, he would have been a Tier 1 prospect because he gets his hand on the ball a lot. 27 career ball hawks, three fumbles forced, 22 passes defensed, four interceptions, good athleticism as we talked about, and his speed score good as well. I'm not really sure what he is, though. The Packers are talking about him as a linebacker. Seems like a bit of a tweener. Honestly, he's probably a special teams guy whose role they figure out later, if it ever goes beyond special teams. And I think that's something we should make a note of here. Matt LaFleur talked about the 49ers game, or after the 49ers game, how the 49ers were interesting in that they had starters playing on special teams. Now, Tariq Carpenter is not going to be considered a starter on on defense, at least not unless things are going horribly wrong or everybody has terribly misjudged his athletic potential or his his playing potential there. But I think under Rich Bisaccia, you're going to see more guys whose sole job is special teams. The Packers want you on the team because you play special teams and you are a special teams ace. Well, what do the experts say about a guy like Tariq Carpenter? Let's turn to Dane Brugler again. Quote, overall, Carpenter is a hybrid defender who might struggle to find a permanent home on defense, but his ability to be a four-phase special teamer gives him a fighting chance to make an NFL roster. So I'm assuming those four phases are going to be punt, kickoff, punt return, and kick return. Those are the ones that 
that probably matter the most in terms of guys being on a roster for pure special teams ability. You probably don't need pure special teamers for field goal and field goal block. If Tariq Carpenter can be a core contributor in those four areas and do just that job and do it well, that athletic profile paints him as a guy who's probably going to be pretty successful in the NFL for quite some time. Jonathan Ford, the next pick up for the Packers, a defensive lineman out of Florida, 6'5", 333 pounds, and that's about it because his relative athletic score, 353, does not move well, did not test well for the Gators. But he did appear in 50 games over five seasons at Florida, just three sacks, one fumble force, and one pass defense in terms of stats during that phase. This is the only head-scratcher in the class for me. I'm not really sure what they're seeing here. I described it to a couple of people I was talking to as a kind of the the sort of pick that you would see like 40 years ago in the NFL draft. You can envision somebody who's never seen this guy play, who's just picking from a list of names, sees some stats, saying something like, wow, this guy's huge, and he played a whole bunch at Florida. He must be good. Well, the evidence so far would suggest maybe not, outside of a very limited role, and I'm not sure that role exists with him, with the Packers for him, because he seems like pretty much a plugger, and that's about it. Let's move on then to Rashid Walker, the big offensive lineman out of Penn State. 6'5", 6'6", some places, 313 pounds. He did not work out by choice. That is a strategic decision for some guys. Just saying, I'm going to rest on my film. You want testing numbers? Good luck. Uh, I'm not going to give them to you. And it makes sense to an extent uh, at times for a huge guy who played at a big program and had some a fair bit of success while he was there. He started 32 games over the past three seasons for Penn State. I'm not really sure why he was on the board in the seventh round. Virtually everybody had him much, much higher than a seventh round pick. We have to say that with the caveat that there are very few true tape grinders out there when it comes to scouting the offensive line. A lot of these places that are doing mock drafts and ranking prospects they're not that far ahead of you and me. But Pro Football Focus had their had him as their 121st overall player. We know they're watching the film. Uh, Dane Brugler had him as a third or fourth round pick and the 10th best tackle in the class. Danny, Danny Kelly of the Ringer had him ranked as the 76th best player in the class too. So who's right here? Scouts or the NFL? Only time will tell. We'll find out. In theory, this is a guy who's going to project as either a top left tackle backup or a swing tackle. I also guarantee that he is going to confuse me. I can promise you that I'm going to refer to him as Rashid Wallace at some point. I promise you it will happen. If it hasn't happened already, I may have referred to him as Rashid Walker or Rashid Wallace when I introduced him uh, in this little piece here. I don't know for sure, but I know it's going to be in the back of my head forever. Uh, referring to some of those experts who were pretty high on him, let's talk about Dane Brugler again. Quote, overall, Walker has the frame, raw power, and body fluidity to be effective, but he too often sacrifices his balance and loses his bearings to stay connected. He has starting talent, but he must become more detail-oriented to be a better-than-replaceable NFL starter, end quote. Seems like a pretty good prospect for the seventh round, though. You don't find a a ton of guys who were long-term starters at college programs like Penn State in the seventh round, much less one with the physical dimensions of a, of a guy like Rashid Walker. Closing out the draft, the Packers take Samori Toure, a wide receiver out of Nebraska. 6'1", 191 pounds, relative athletic score of just 6'1", 5". A 4'4", 840-yard dash, though, 
little bit slow off the line with a 1.64 10-yard split, if that matters to you. He started his career at Montana. He ended up at Nebraska. Once had 300 yards in a playoff game receiving for Montana. And it seems like he could do just about anything you'd ask. He profiles to me as a guy who's probably going to be a punt gunner to start. Maybe he grows into something else. But the Packers need guys who can play special teams. And getting a guy who can do it well seems pretty pretty important. Uh, Toure seems to have a pretty good athletic base. Again, not a super-duper tester. Uh, some people I've, I've read and, and I've had discussions with um, – Suggest there may have been some field issues for Nebraska at their pro day that caused a few guys to slip. Duray may have been one of them. If that that may explain his poor start off the line, although ultimately still a pretty good, pretty good forty-yard dash time. Even so, four four eight is nothing to sneeze at. You can get the job done uh, as an NFL receiver with a four four eight forty-yard dash time. I think if you have some concerns about him being a little bit raw, maybe underdeveloped as a receiver, that's that's fair given his his collegiate track record to date. But the traits are there, um, and it seems like a good enough flyer in the seventh round for me, though there may have been some other more athletic options on the board. Still, it's the seventh round. You're looking at priority free agent territory there anyway, especially as late as the Packers picked with this final one. Overall, don't have a ton of issues with the selection. If you're, if you're really wringing your hands over your seventh round pick, I suggest maybe find a little bit different focus uh, for your energy. That's it. That is the draft class. A bunch of really good testers, a bunch of guys with seemingly virtually unlimited upside. Really only the one head scratcher in there, and I'm excited to see what each and every one of these guys can do on the field. That's really going to be the fun part. We've done all the prep. We've talked through every position leading into the draft. We've, we've watched the draft play out. These are the guys the Packers have now, and it's up to us and the Packers, I suppose, to figure out what they can actually do on the field. And it's going to be a while before we actually get to see that. But it is May now, which means that in about two and a half months, we get to sit down and start talking about actual training camp type stuff. Next up, we're going to talk about undrafted free agents. The Packers putting the finishing touches on their undrafted free agent crop as we speak right now. A few more interesting prospects in that group, particularly at the running back position. But that is a conversation for another day. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this podcast, I would humbly ask that you share it with somebody you think is going to enjoy it as well. It means a lot to me. helps more people get involved in the conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers and ultimately helps all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.